Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing our walk through the book of 1 Peter. And once again, we find ourselves turning to this early section of the book of 1 Peter. I remind you that Peter is writing to a scattered body of churches made up of predominantly Gentile members who are being heavily persecuted. Because of that persecution, they scattered giving up lands, houses, jobs, families, etc., all for the name of Jesus Christ. Yet history tells us even of the ones who gave up the ultimate, which was their own life. Many of them did so with joy, singing hymns and spiritual songs. Now, the idea here is that they were suffering, and yet Peter called them to rejoice in their suffering, as we'll see in the text. Now, that doesn't mean that they enjoyed suffering or that suffering is to be made light of, not at all. Rather, there is a source of joy in suffering, and it is based upon the knowledge of what is to come and what is being done behind the suffering itself. And so Peter writes to remind these believers that they're can exist rejoicing in suffering. And I'm sure many of you would ask, and myself included, as they asked of Peter, how can we rejoice in suffering? It's a logical and fair question. For who enjoys pain or torment of any variety? And yet we find our answer in the text in two parts. First, we can rejoice in suffering by knowing that suffering is brief physically. Second, by knowing that suffering is beneficial spiritually. And so the text, of course, I'm speaking of is where we left off in 1 Peter chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 6. Peter writes, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to speak to you on rejoicing in suffering. How can we rejoice in suffering? Well, in verse 6, as I said, by knowing that suffering is brief physically, Peter begins in verse 6 by referencing verses 3 through 5. He writes, in this. Well, in what? In what he had previously said in verses 3 through 5. Well, what did he previously say? He said that believers have a living hope through the risen Lord Jesus and that our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for us, and that we are kept by the power of God. So, In this, here in verse 6, could be translated because of these things, these things that I have listed previously in verses 3-5, because of this, you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, highlight that in your mind, little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Peter, in a nutshell, is claiming that because of what is coming to us in our glorification, we can rejoice in our suffering. Now, what is coming to us? Well, in order to understand that, in order to understand why he says in these things you can rejoice, you have to go back and look at these things in verses 3 through 5. Well, first of all, it's based upon a living hope. 
It is eternal life in heaven in a perfect and glorified state. We will inherit the new heaven, the new earth, and live in a glorified state with God in person and enjoy Him forever. It's incorruptible. That is, it's imperishable. The human soul lives forever, the inner person. The question is, where will it live forever? Well, to the ones Peter's writing to, to those of us who are born again, have been rebirthed, he or she has an eternal life in heaven, and it's being incorruptible or imperishable speaks of the fact that it lasts forever, it's eternal. You know, when something good happens or something we enjoy on earth, it's but for a moment. I mean, think of your favorite meal. You cannot wait to eat it. You buy it, you cook it, whatever. Then you eat it, and you're enjoying every moment as the flavor satisfies your taste buds and your stomach feels, then just as quickly as it began, it's over, it has perished, it has ceased. Yet Peter says the inheritance that is coming to us is incorruptible, it's imperishable. The joys of heaven will never perish. They are eternal, they are unending. Then he says that they are undefiled. That means untainted or pure. The joys of heaven will be untouched by the sorrows and sins of this world. Now compare that to the good things we have in this world. They're not as good as they could be because of sin. They are defiled by sin, sorrow, sickness, pain. Yet what is waiting for me and you that are saved up there has never been touched or tainted with the effects of sin nor sin itself. And finally, he says, this inheritance does not fade away. The greatness, the joy, the beauty of all of it never ceases to be as good as it is the moment you receive it. Now, that's marvelous, isn't it? We think of a child when he gets a new toy. At first, they love it. It's shiny. Everything works. It's the latest fad. However, as the time goes by, the toy dulls. It breaks or it no longer works. It doesn't hold the value that it once held. It's good, but it's not as good as it used to be. Well, what Peter declared in verses 3 through 5 is that it does not fade away. So what is waiting for us in heaven will be just as good after a thousand years of being there as it was the moment we walked through the pearly gates. It does not fade in its goodness. It does not fade away. It's an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. Now, that sort of thing can't even enter the human mind. It's beyond comprehension to imagine something that is wonderful, but that stays wonderful. I, I can't even describe it because we have nothing to compare that with on earth. No wonder that Peter says that this joy is inexpressible and full of glory. Now, in light of the inheritance being permanent and perfect, we compare the suffering of this life that it is physically brief. Again, I call your eyes to verse 6, though now for a little while, just a moment. And so there can be rejoicing and suffering by knowing that it is physically brief. Suffering is brief. It's but for a moment. But rejoicing and glorification in heaven is permanent, it's wonderful, it's undefiled, and it does not fade away. So when you compare the two, even in the midst of horrible suffering on earth, when you compare the two, there is rejoicing in suffering.
And when you place that in the context of Peter writing to a suffering church, that interpretation is perfectly sensical. It is what Peter intends in the text. The lasting joy of eternal life in our final state of salvation, which is glorification, will make the time of suffering on this earth seem like no time at all. Now, in order to properly understand this, we have to consider how deeply many have suffered for the cause of Christ. Various trials, Peter said. And as I said from history, we know that early Christians gave up jobs, possessions, lands, houses, families, and many of their own lives. And in some parts of the world, they still do to this day. And I realize that in my context, here in South Carolina, I'm not facing that type of trial. But we still face various trials. Peter, though he was writing to the persecuted church, he did not limit himself by saying just persecution, but a variety of trials, emotional, physical, mental, financial, spiritual, or all of the above. How then can we rejoice in such suffering for a little while? For a little while. We can rejoice in suffering by knowing that it is physically Brief, it is for but a little while. And then we go to verse number seven, and verse number seven tells us that we can that we can rejoice in suffering by knowing that it is beneficial spiritually. So if you want to follow the alliteration here, suffering is brief, but it's beneficial. Now, what I just said, the brief part probably made sense. Well, yeah, pastor, I get it. One of these days I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, it'll all be over. So I get the brief part. But beneficial, you're talking crazy. No, I'm not talking crazy at all. Look at verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith being what? Much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Suffering produces or proves that our faith is genuine and therefore suffering is beneficial spiritually, although it be brief physically. Because what is more beneficial than to know that what you have is the real thing and that it is genuine biblical faith and that when you die, you are going straight to the presence of God. Tell me what is more precious than that knowledge. No wonder Peter said it's much more precious than gold, which is a little play here because he uses a term, genuineness, that was used to describe the process by which gold was purified. It was heated in order to burn off the alloys and so that what you had after the process was pure, 24 karat, I guess 24 karat means pure, I always thought it did. Pure 24 karat, real deal, gold. And nothing proves real faith like suffering. i tell you what we found out about Job when it was all said and done is that what Job had was the real deal. He wasn't just a member of a local church, if you will, to be uh, colloquial. He was a member of the church. He didn't just know about God, but he knew God. He had the real thing. And what proved that? His suffering, that all his suffering, he retained his faith in the living God. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. And so that's 
what happens. Now, this there is a warning in this because that it presupposes if, if suffering proves that some faith is genuine, then it would also serve to believe that it also proves that some do not have genuine faith, or as I like to say, they have fool's gold. It appears to be genuine faith, but it's not. And as soon as it's tested, it is found to be false. Now you say, Pastor, that, that's, that's legalist. No, sir. No, sir. Jesus taught this in the parable of the sower. I know it's called the parable of seeds by a lot of people. It should be called the parable of the sower or vice versa. Anyways, um, says some receive the faith superficially. But at the first sign of trouble, they fall away. Now, we've seen this. I've seen, Ladies and gentlemen, I've been a pastor long enough. I've seen this. People come in. They're all about Jesus. Rah, rah, rah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. First sign of trouble, the IRS can't find them. And you never see them again in the house of God or any church. They go right back to the way they were living before. Well, that's because they lost their salvation, Pastor. No, sir, no, ma'am. That's because what they had wasn't real. And when the fire got turned on, they fled because their gold, as it were, was not genuine. And that's exactly what Peter is getting at. Now, but those who have true faith in their suffering, Peter says, the genuineness of your faith will be found to be at praise, honor, and glory. Whose praise, honor, and glory? Your praise, honor, and glory from God. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? That God would return upon the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing of Jesus Christ, it's his second return, and find your faith and say, what you have is genuine. It's been proved. It's been tested. You were not somebody that simply had a head knowledge of me, but clearly you had a heart knowledge of me, a genuine relationship based upon repentance and proven by trials. That's what proves all relationships. You want to know if you really love your spouse? Go through hard times with your spouse. That'll show you if you got the real thing or not. I'm going to tell you something. I love my wife. My wife loves me. And you know how I know that what we have is the real thing? Because it's been tested. There's been hard times. Yeah, I know about hard times. I'm talking times when I was working full-time in the reserves and a full-time student in seminary with a pregnant wife and already one baby and only making $15 an hour in this economy. Yeah, I know hard times, honey. And what we found is what we had was the real thing. Ladies and gentlemen, your faith is the same way. If you are truly saved, then suffering will not drive you away from God. It will drive you to God. I'm not saying that suffering's easy. I'm not saying that you won't go through periods of being upset with God or being upset at everything. Nobody's saying that. But what I am saying is what Peter is saying, that you can rejoice in suffering because you know that it is proving your faith to be genuine, which gives you further assurance of salvation. 
You say, why should we suffer? I've got a quick answer for that. Christ suffered. How about that? If Christ suffered, why would we not suffer? The world hated Christ. It's going to hate those who follow him. Why do you think being a Christian is a cuss word in America in 2022? Because the world hates our God. They hate his standards. They hate his word because his word cuts to the heart and reveals their sin. And so we will suffer at least in that aspect to some degree, some more than others. Now I understand that. I'm not currently suffering for being a Christian in the same way that a Christian is in communist China. And I'm not pretending that I am. But make no mistake, Paul said, All who live godly shall suffer persecution. And there's various trials. We've been looking at persecution because in context, that's what he's talking about. But at the same time, it's not limited to persecution. In other words, Peter is saying, When your faith is proven by fiery trials... It will be vindicated by God himself. God himself will praise and give honor and glory in that faith. He will, In other words, he will say, you've got the real thing. But that won't be true for everybody. Because again, I remind you of the law of opposites. If there's a black, there has to be a white. If there's a day, there has to be a night. And so therefore, if persecution proves some faith to be genuine, then it can also serve to prove that others' faith is not genuine. And Jesus talked a lot about that. He said on that day there'll be some, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And he'll say, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, this is the uh, Ennery translation. He'll say, I ain't got a clue who you are. Depart from me, you sinner. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. He said, apart from me, ye who work iniquity, I never knew ye. I just put it in plain English. He's going to say, who are you? Your faith isn't genuine. I have no clue who you are. Depart from me. So the blessing of suffering is that it reveals if you're truly in Christ. And therefore, if you're saved in your suffering, and you see God working in that suffering, rejoice because that is just more evidence and assurance of your sanctification. Why would you not rejoice in that? That doesn't mean that you don't uh, suffer in the suffering, that you're not sad or go through depression. Duh. But there is still cause for rejoicing. So, our response to suffering proves or disproves the genuineness of our faith. In conclusion, I'm not here to make light of suffering. I do not for one second believe that Peter was either. Peter knew these people were suffering. Peter himself was suffering. I remind you that Peter himself was martyred for the faith and the cause of Christ. But rather... He is encouraging them by reminding them that they can rejoice in suffering because it is physically brief and it is spiritually beneficial. It's brief, he says, but for a little while. It's beneficial. He said it proves the genuineness of your faith. 
What is more beneficial than that? Now, as I come to a close, I ask you, are you suffering today? Now, I don't mean you spilt your coffee or your ball team lost. I mean genuine trial and tribulation. Now, it may not be because you're a Christian. It may be health. It may be financial. You may have lost your job. It may be heartbreak. Uh, it could be a variety of things. Rejoice. Lean into God and ask you to teach Him, to go deep with Him, and to take you further in your relationship. And don't you ever forget, child of God, if you are a child of God, that you can rejoice in suffering because it's physically brief, but for a little while, and heaven is forever, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved. And lastly, rejoice in suffering because it is beneficial spiritually. It proves the genuineness of your faith. God bless you. Keep studying the book of Peter and rejoice in suffering, in good times, in bad times, and everything in between. Rejoice. Because our Redeemer lives. God bless you.